this is Graphic Policy Radio, a comics podcast that goes down smooth like a movie podcast. This is our roundup of film and television of the year 2018, the year that eats like a decade. I am your host, Elana Levin, uh, aka Elana Brooklyn of Twitter. I have assembled a crew of fellow geeks and critics, and we are going to be talking about what we watched and what we liked and maybe some things we didn't so much. But I'm excited to introduce everybody on the show today is new, uh, new guests. I'm joined by Valerie Complex. Uh, Valerie is a military veteran turned screenwriter and film critic who loves all movies of all genres. Hey, Valerie. What's up? Thanks for having me. Bill Scurry is a filmmaker and podcaster living in New York with his wife and cat. He's the co-host of I Don't Get It podcast, a frequent contributor to Wrong Reel, and he's the co-founder and proprietor of American Caesar Enterprises. Hey, I'm just happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Cool. And Alexis Sanchez is the creator and co-founder of Latinx Geeks, an online community for Latinx who love all things geeky and pop culture. She is a student by day and a geek fangirl by night. <laughs> Thank hey, you for having me here. Yay. I, I, so many people who I've wanted to have on for a long time, so this is a good opportunity. Um, I'm going to kick stuff off going a little bit broad, which are what are the best TV shows that you've watched this year? Can be new, can be a return. What are the TV shows that you have made a permanent date with your TV screen to, to view? I know for me, I has been a big year for uh, finales. Um, Adventure Times finale, just I cried so much and it was so moving and wonderful. You know, Steven Universe is an ongoing that I definitely think is in its final throes. And and both of them are just gorgeous shows, really beyond anything that's beyond anything that's out there, really. Um, but meanwhile, you know, we saw the end of, uh, well, or at least the temporary end of a lot of the Marvel Netflix series, of which I have a range of opinions. Um, but yeah, like, what are you guys really into right now? So the one that I finally started watching. Um... A little bit late, a little bit after it came out, but The Dragon Prince, I don't know if either of you have seen it. It's mm. by the creators of, uh, one of the creators of The Last Airbender, and it just has that good lore starting off point. Just the characters are amazing. The The lore of this world that they're creating is amazing, and I'm, I thought I was just going to watch one episode, and I just finished the whole thing in one day, and... I, I just want season two to already happen. Yeah, Netflix <laughs> has been really investing in its animation. Like they, the She-Ra show, which we just covered on the podcast. Oh, yes. Beautiful and high budget. Like, I'm really excited to see them as a new platform for animated shows. Definitely. Did anybody Valerie. see the Voltron? Did you see the Voltron Oof. finale? <sighs> no, yeah. I did not. Man, yeah. <laughs> man, what a disappointment. Like, you know... I just don't get it. Like, you start, you have these awesome characters who you kept on throughout the entire show. Spoiler alert. And then you freaking kill them at the end. Princess Alora, Princess Alora got killed off at the end. I, I don't get it. Yeah. yeah. I had. I heard problems. people were upset. Yeah. I never really got into it. Because they, like, treated uh, the one, like, Latinx Cuban character as, like, he was always the joke of the crew. And I just was like, ah, okay. I just never got, never really got into it. (laughs) But it's funny because the show had really high production values. So I I gave it the first season a shot. And then I just, but it had nothing to say. Do you know what I mean? It felt kind of hollow. Yeah, I did the first three episodes and felt that. Well, I'm a big uh, Voltron fan, so I Me was able too. to sort of ride ride out mm, with yeah. it. But I, I totally understand what you what you're saying um, <laughs> and how shallow it it appeared. Uh, but another show I really dug this year was Star Trek Discovery. Yes, oh, yeah. yes, very good. Yes, that one. I really, really dug incredible. it. Now, let me be honest. I don't watch a lot of television because after Penny Dreadful went off the air, I gave up TV. (laughs) (laughs) So I gave up television, but I did watch uh, every episode of Star Trek Discovery. And I, it was a really, 
wild ride. I enjoyed it. The production values were really good. Uh, it, it was a very unexpected, like, plot line. Like, you don't, you rarely see, like, you know, disgraced um, officers, like, running around. Like, it was just, it was just really interesting. I liked the direction they took it. I ask you if you nerd out on Star Trek. Is that, like, a regular thing for you? Because I always um, wonder about this. I, you know, what's funny is I don't know if I'm into the Star Trek fandom, but I've watched almost every season. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Nice. So. Just wow. by, you know how some, you know, I like anime, but I'm not in the fandom because right. I, I'm, I, because I like to preserve my mental health. So, yeah. So I, but, but that's sort of what it is. I think the last season I saw was like Voyager. Because mm -hmm. I, I like I like William Shatner, but I don't like Chris Pine. So you know, my thing is mm -hmm. like eighties, like keeping it in the the old white man. Guy, like a bunch of guys talking about getting old in their prostates and like I thought <laughs> I thought those movies. Star Trek movies yeah the 80s movies like Star Trek 2 3 and 4 are like right where my money is and I mean mm -hmm. I like all the Star Treks I love them all and so I think Discovery Discovery did new things which like old Star Trek fans like pissed and moaned and bitched about and I love that shit like if you make <laughs> those old people like kind of come out and they just kept saying you know because the doctor was like out he was like kissing his husband and like people can't stand that shit oh, and every yeah. single episode <laughs> it's like oh just like do more of it man like get more in there and like he was great as the doc like he did that was like such a character that they've oh, never yeah. had on Star Trek before and he was like so reliable and yet like classic Star Trek like everything about him he fit right into the mythos for me and I just like wanted them to continue and understand that they did the right thing I mean anybody who doesn't understand how essentially queer all of Star Trek is is a fake fan and needs to go home like I can't fathom I can't fathom like everybody I know who's into Star Trek is queer I like don't know if straight people even watch Star Trek so this is all very confusing to me but uh, but yeah the show is great and I it was not what I was expecting and it sounds like they might be doing something else with um, Michelle Yeoh uh, in the future which would be great I really because hope so Oh, I love her, and I'd watch her do anything. <laughs> it could happen. Oh, definitely. It could happen, yeah. I was at the uh, Star Trek panel, not this past New York Comic Con. Well, yeah, uh, the one last year, so 2017. And she showed up as, like, you know, like, did the whole, like, fan asking a question, and then, you know, oh, wow, it's her. And she really just needs her own TV series, just 100% hmm. her doing Star Trek. I would watch that. You know what? For that one, I might actually pay CBS <laughs> to watch that one. Because <laughs> currently, well, she, um, you. you know. <laughs> well, she, had, she, had great, she had great chemistry. Oh, sorry. Go I'm on. sorry. No, I was just going to say, for what I've heard, I think she's getting a spinoff. Yeah. Yes. But we don't know what character, if it's going to be the alternate universe or hmm, what. Yeah. But... Um, yeah, I like that this one did some things like we saw, you know, some, some sexiness. We saw some <laughs> PTSD, like it was, it was pretty wild. Yeah. Um, I didn't mean chemistry. to cut you off. What yeah. were you saying? No, that Sonequa Martin-Green had like great chemistry oh with Michelle Yeoh. Like you oh, think yeah. any, any actor's dream is to like jump up, like Sonequa Martin-Green is not a rookie. You know, she did a bunch of seasons on Walking Dead. She's had like the hot spotlight put on her and it, with a big fandom. And mm -hmm. she came in and, like, knew this is my shot to do something big. First of all, to take the wheel of Star Trek, which plenty of people have done, and, you know, this is a big job. But on top of that, it's like Michelle Yeoh is a hero. She's yeah. been around since forever. And it's like to, yeah. to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with her in the very first episode of Star Trek. And be able and to, to keep up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. it, right, but also create a thing that we want to see more of. It was yeah. so good that they brought, like, well, I don't want to spoil, but Michelle Yeoh had a weird path back to the show yes. after early. And it's like, well, you need to do that because we want to see more of this chemistry on the thing. Like, we're not done with that yet. And, and mm -hmm. you know, Sonequa Martin-Green had whatever the stuff is that, like, Kate Mulgrew and uh, 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 Avery Brooks uh, mm -hmm. and, and, and everybody else who was ever a, a captain of a ship. She mm -hmm. had that, like, juice to be able to anchor a series. And that kind of shit is great. Yeah, yeah. I, I did watch some movie. Well, in addition to Star Trek, I did watch some shows that had actors and not and were not animated this year. Um, I, I was definitely really pleased with the season of Glow. Um, 
I didn't I actually watch this season. No. I watched the first season and was I I I definitely enjoyed it. I think it was like one of those like just fun shows, but I haven't had the chance to watch the second one. So Well, well a few things a... about I mean, <laughs> I really feel like as a female ensemble cast on television, granted I don't watch medical dramas in the kinds of genres that tend to have large female ensemble casts. So I'm not really comparing it to anything, <laughs> but I think it's just the best female ensemble cast on television. Um, and there's so many distinct women and they all are dealing with their own particular plot lines that are so well-crafted. Uh, obviously the wrestling is freaking awesome. The show's art direction is flawless and I am a good judge of those things. Uh, they really know the milieu they're, they're working in. The songs are totally the right songs. There's like in more, there's like more queer characters this season, which is great. Oh, and yeah, you know, exactly. Like, I feel like you need to watch season two. You will get a lot out of it. I mean, especially the, the characters who are students. I think you'll be, Ooh. I think you'll like the students who are also wrestlers storylines a lot. Um, but yeah, Glow is just great production values and the leads are just devastatingly good actresses. Like the woman who plays Debbie, I'm forgetting her name, but like she's so hot. It's crazy. And I mean that on every <laughs> level. Um, but yeah, Glow season two. Um, and, and it's going to be back for another season. So I would also say, speaking of things that aren't my normal thing, I my uh, frequent friend of the show, uh, Sarah Rasher, had been on my case to watch The Good Place for a long time. Yes. Um, and I always told them, like, quality. look, I don't watch sitcoms, so why would I watch that? And Sarah would say, it's not a sitcom. Nothing that happens in this show could happen to anyone in the real world. So it's yeah. not a sitcom. It's just a half-hour comedy. And I started watching it. And I'm not caught up. But that is a very creative and funny yeah. show. Yeah. The Good Place is, like, it's that, like, feel-good, like, just quality TV that that I put it in the same place as Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Superstore. And, like, maybe mm. Bob's Burgers. Like, that just, like, it's just so good. It's so pure and hilarious. I Yeah. Those are some of my I've, go-tos. I've never watched the show. Um, I know I talk to Jamila Jamil a lot, but I've never <gasps> seen <Whoa>. the show. <laughs> um, yeah, it's weird. The connection I have with people, it's strange. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I, I, it's on my list like of shows to watch. Uh, the Good Place along with Killing Eve. People keep oh, telling yeah. me to watch oh, that yes. show. Yes. Let's and do that. Let's talk about that's that. That's on my that's on my um, list. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I haven't. But talk to <sighs> us about it. I mean, if you've been watching it, I mean, I'd oh, love yeah, to definitely. hear more. I mean, I've heard nothing but good things. Um, yeah, Alana, I mean, did you watch Killing Eve? I don't want to be nope. the only person. Please oh, go man. for it. I know nothing. It looks good. It looks good. Uh, all right. All right. So, uh, this came out, you know, I don't know, do you guys like quote-unquote fly to the quote-unquote United Kingdom to get TV shows if they're not available in the United States. I have I have my way of getting access. Yes. <laughs> good, 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 good. So I did that Isn't with Catastrophe. It is, it is, but it came out, and it was on the UK first. Okay, so, gotcha. yeah, so I caught up, yeah, I, I, I did the thing that I, I did with a bunch of UK shows where I, you know, yeah, I visited Wales or, you know, Lancaster or whatever, um, but yeah, eventually it was on Hulu, so we wound up we wound up paying for. It. I want to make sure that at least I paid for it when it was legit. So you know the thing is, is that it is uh, the woman who created Fleabag made this show, Phoebe Waller Bridge. And if you watch Fleabag, and Fleabag was like top notch. Fleabag was this Edinburgh fringe show that the woman managed to finally like successfully translate into a television series, and and that short British mold where it stays exactly as long as it needs to so she also managed to sell this adaptation of a series of spy novels about a russian killer who is cat or, or cat birding a uh, an interpol agent played by sandra oh and the t <clears throat> the tone is wonderful the tone goes all over the place because it is both extremely violent but also extremely playful and it has incredible wordplay like you're you're watching uh, Hitchcock, like, the, or, or or maybe like the Thin Man things from back in the mm. back of the day, and I mean the two actors, Jodie Comer, who plays this Russian killer, and she's an English actress, but she's playing this like 
you know, program terminator, this, 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 this killer. And Sandra Oh, you, no one needs to say Sandra Oh's bona fide. She's been <laughs> eminent for oh, yeah, as long yeah. as. But but and yet this is the best thing. I mean, she won huh. the she won the Emmy or the Golden Globe for this, completely deservedly. So it winds up being this like, you know, uh, Captain America versus uh, a Red Skull type thing, where it's like two great, the greatest hero and the great villain, totally human, totally funny. Everything makes sense. Nothing ever defies plausibility or credulity. And it maintains your interest for every single second of it. I mean, again, mm. it's an actor showcase, but it's completely worth it. I would, I would totally recommend it. And if you just keep in mind that the Brits, the, the Brits don't fuck around with us. The Brits like give us good TV. They don't, they don't do that <laughs> bait and switch thing like American cable channels yeah. can do sometimes. <laughs> so it really true. recommends itself. Thank you. That sounds fabulous. I, yeah. uh, you know, um, so, so, the one show that I was really disappointed with this year is Archer. I actually like the later Danger seasons. Island. Yeah, yeah Danger, Danger Island, Island was yeah, not up was to, not up to par. Not at I all. turned it off. I got three episodes in, and I this is I can't believe I did this, but I'm I'm an Archer diehard, and I actually stopped watching, and I just like I'll watch the final season if they go back to regular regular structure. Well, the next season is going to be like based on Aliens. I'm I'm going to keep watching it, but I I felt like this season I was disappointed in some of the cruelness that I don't think people like gave it a moment to sit to recognize the cruelness of it usually when the show does that the show does it in a way that like we all recognize this is fucked up right oh, okay yeah. <laughs> and this season 100%. I felt like the, like it didn't pause for that in a way that I actually kind of was kind of upsetting in the context of it being a comedy um Lucky yeah. Yates as the parrot was amazing uh and I, I I feel like they treated Pam really shittily and I'm done with that uh, and there were a lot of political things they could have done with the setting that they kind of only vaguely hinted at. And I thought were a lot of missed opportunities. Yeah, I think so. they lost like the characters a little bit because, I mean, even mm-hmm. in this whole dream world, like there's still a bit of the core character of who they were in, you know, the real world, world I suppose. But they kind mm-hmm. of... It, it was just way too off of that this season and some of the humor I was just it was like they were trying too hard to go back to maybe like second season and it just it kind of just missed the mark yeah I thought oh, they yeah. pissed they pissed away Judy Greer like she was just kind of this oh, weird yeah. choke choking obsessed sex fiend mm-hmm. and you lost like all that great Cheryl Tunt stuff that they had worked oh, so yeah. hard to build along the way that's a goddamn shame yeah yeah Bojack, though, the most recent season, I mean, it, I think the show continues to be just as good. I thought that the episodes with, um, <coughs> sorry, the episodes with uh, Diane were even richer than ever before. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the, the I, I'm super sensitive to how shows handle women having babies or not having babies or trying to have babies and not getting babies storylines because (laughs) generally these things are written by men and they're bad. Uh, This show, I was like, you've done this and it's not offending me. That's unheard of. Um, So congratulations to them on that. I mean, the show continues to have really smart observations about like class in ways that other shows have stepped aside and not noticed. Um, You know, I think the real question at the end of the season is, Bojack has done some really bad things. Is the thing he just did right now the worst thing? Is it irredeemable? Mm. How are we going to feel with him moving forward? I'm not really sure. Any other Bojack watchers around? Oh yeah, no. I, I don't. I don't do oh, it. Yeah, you I don't watch do it. that one. I, I watched it randomly when like the first season I think was ending, like when they finished the finished. I think they were st- about to start the second season. And I was really surprised by how much I liked it and just like that whole, I guess, emotional journey and like personal journey that Bojack goes on. But I think probably one of my favorite parts of this season is seeing Diane like go, she's Vietnamese, at least the character is, I believe. Um, And when she goes back to Vietnam and is like, oh wait, I have no, no connection to my culture or anything close to it and just seeing that her go through that struggle and trying to figure out how it actually works I think was really interesting as someone that is like first generation uh, American and sometimes feels that way so I, I 
thought they handled that pretty well, especially considering that Allison Brie is not Vietnamese. So. Yeah. She's definitely not Vietnamese. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's good, though. Um, any last shows people want to shout out? Are, are you guys still watching the premium cable Michigas things? Yes, I am. I mean, I thought there were two fantastic shows on HBO. If I mean, and I've given my HBO Go logins to everyone in Manhattan and Brooklyn, so you guys are the last few people. But all right, so there are two great shows on HBO. We had uh, High Maintenance, which I I don't smoke weed, but my my wife does. But doesn't really matter because I think it's a pretty fun show. They do a, a pretty good job for a show that started off on Vimeo. And mm-hmm. YouTube, like they make a really, they do it. They take a lot of care to reflect that like asshole gentrified version of Brooklyn that you're supposed yeah. to hate. Like everyone's a real dickhead, and I mean <laughs> it's, but it's it's appropriate. It's really appropriate. It's it's like Williamsburg and Bushwick and Bed Stuy, the way that you just like want to drop a bomb on it and kill all those people. But it's a funny show, and it has a lot of humanity and a lot of like love for the human beings that are there. But I mean, I thought the best show. The two best shows this season were Atlanta, which was just like fucking nuts, and Insecure. Issa Rae like mm. delivers every single season, and so does Donald Glover. Those two people are doing some incredible, like ahead of the curve work on TV. That I mean, they get awards, but I just feel like is anybody watching these? And they're, are they watching like what people are actually doing with the form? Because you got some real line bending, genre bending type stuff that's being done at a high level by creators who were kind of like came from non traditional venues. And I would say. I mean, uh, Atlanta's on, on FX, and you can just watch that. HBO, you do need the, the login to see uh, Insecure, but Issa Rae is doing some amazing things with, like, the half-hour format, and she's just nailing it. it the show I from feel what bad I've seen for not having watched either lighting. of those. Like, I feel really bad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> from what I've seen of Insecure, like, the lighting and cinematography are just leagues beyond other shows that are you know, like, I guess, dramedy or like, you know, things that are not made to be specifically made as a visual showcase kind of a show. It seems to be way more careful about that than others shows. It looked gorgeous. Like, um, there's, there's this thing going on right now. Look, I mean, and this, this isn't really perilous as like a white straight dude to say as somebody who's like tried to fuck around making movies before, but there's a kind of filmmaking and I've heard Ava DuVernay, Ava DuVernay talk about this and Barry, uh, 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 Moonlight. Yeah, Barry Jenkins talked about this. There is a real corrective measure to light the black body in a different way just because cinematographers have been so head up their asses about it for years. So, like, something Barry Jenkins did with Moonlight was, like, make it look absolutely gorgeous and, like, letter perfect. And so in the same thing, it, like, insecure... It is Hiro Murai, who's like this Japanese-American music video director, mm. is the one who was... Uh, oh, no, Hiro Murai was shooting Atlanta, and he does an incredible job, too. And the woman who shoots all of Beyonce's videos is the one who shoots uh, Broad, uh, Insecure. Oh. Broad, Broad City's a different show. And so they get <laughs> it right, like black skin tone. And not just black skin tone, but the traditional movie, TV, uh, cinematography mixed in with getting black skin tone is totally correct and there are few other people trying to nail it in such a niche way and I will agree with you Alana that is something that is like head and shoulders this season of TV and maybe the last few seasons of these particular shows on a craft level are getting right and it is a corrective because they've just done so so poorly and so is irresolutely for so much of history yeah well let's talk about movies Valerie, you see lots of movies that I do not see. What should I see that I probably haven't seen yet? Oh, gosh. what? Okay, well, what haven't you seen that you've heard a lot about? Um, well, I haven't seen Beale Street, and I may have noticed oh, you wrote yeah. something about it. Okay. Talk, to, talk about Beale, yeah. Um, when you mentioned about the way Barry Jenkins lights black bodies, like he has the particular, uh, it seems like he has a particular interest in casting those with darker skin because uh, I know people talk about lighting and the nonsense like I've heard that a lot as well but if Bill Street Could Talk is really a good adaptation of the source material from um, James Baldwin's 1974 book uh, If Bill Street Could Talk um, he has a really he has he has he has tapped into what it takes to document 
the human experience and the black experience in America. It's something that he is, and I'm not trying to put him in a corner. I'm just saying it's one of the things that he does really, really well. And he sort of foregoes the surrealism, uh, the sort of surrealistic take of Moonlight and sort of adapts a more naturalistic sort of earth tone hue to Beale Street. And it serves the film really well. I really enjoyed it. It's not the same pace as Moonlight. So if you go in thinking that it's going to be like Moonlight, you're, you're going to be upset. It is a drama and that's it. Regina King kills it. She's in the film maybe for 15, 20 minutes, but she deserves all the accolades and all the awards and all the critics' choice shit that she's getting because she's, Regina King is a fucking legend in this business. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, mm. The favorite is another, is like, now, the favorite has, you know, it has some problems. Um, a lot of the problems are sort of external where there are a lot of critics, mostly white males who like to compare films like that to the Me Too Time's Up movement. It has nothing to do with that. And so, <laughs> yeah, I've seen a couple of reviews that's like, in the time of Me Too and Time's Up, the favorite, and it's like, if you knew what that movie was about, that it makes it would make the movement look bad. Like, um, it's just really well... It's like really the performances are really good by the leading the by the leading three women, uh, Rachel Weiss and and Emma Stone and Olivia Coleman. They are I don't know how to explain it. They have really good chemistry mm. and the film is, is violent and it's actually a queer story, but much to its detriment, the marketing doesn't tell you that. Yep, until yep. you go see yeah, it it's very subtle and like, it's like I wow get that like, taste of it <laughs> like the the marketing might give you a little bit but it doesn't give you enough because this movie is gay as shit gay okay <laughs> oh, and i think that and if they would them. have i think if they would have been more outward with that then it would have got it would have tapped into a whole different audience but it wasn't until you know i saw the movie that i was like what the hell and, and so, you know, you don't, it's, it's one of those things where you, I, you know, you rarely see film, you know, you see period pieces like that, where like everybody's just gay. Like, oh, yeah. that was really something. Um, especially women. Yes, especially yeah. women. I'm trying to think of anything else. Widows. Okay, so, you know, oh, I yeah. have my, Widows, yeah. I have oh. my issues with widows or whatever, but the performance is are undeniable. Well, I just think that the story was a little all over the place. Um, it doesn't really tackle any one subject very well, or very much mm -hmm. for that matter. Um, there's a topic of, um, you know, yeah. racial dynamics there that doesn't get it. They tell you it's there, but they don't explore it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they go into a little bit about sex work and they tell you it exists in this universe, but they don't explore it. So there's a lot of that going on, but Daniel Kaluuya and Viola Davis and Elizabeth Debicki, they're all like fantastic in this. And I don't understand why people are just, I don't know if it's because it's considered genre or whatever, but people are just completely overlooking widows. And that's, that's my Valerie, can, can I? Can I ask you a question about this? Because one of my friends brought up, uh, he said there was a, a trend in the in the movie season, especially the Oscar gloss movie season. And without getting too, too spoilery about it, there is like a BLM type plot, not even a plot thing. It's almost like an, a, a little a curly cue off to the side where a character is, you know, he has a, a really bad run in with police officers and he's a character of color. And it's not a plot thread. It's almost like thrown in. And he suspected it might have been Gillian Flynn who added it for a little bit of poignancy. And hmm. so he he came out of Widows thinking like this is like a weird. It's strange to add BLM as a little bit of like plot pepper rather than something the movie's about. It's a little too sacred to go in there and use as just something to make it seem like this is timely and a 2018 product as opposed to like going all in on what it's about. And I, I totally understand that. I mean, was that something that stuck with you when you were watching it? I think I 
feel similarly and that, um, you know, it just feels certain things just felt shoehorned in, but they're right. not addressed. And so I was like, okay, well, that's, that's corny. Um, you know, but it's, <laughs> but it's, um, but it's, it's, that's the case. That's it's something that, it's something that they do. And I just think that it was, and I'm, you know, glad that it was written from a female perspective, but I just think it's, I, I'm not a big fan of films that try to cram in too many subjects at once. Um, mm. And that was my big problem with Hereditary, but that is another conversation. Um, right. Oh yeah. I never saw it. What, what do folks think about Hereditary? That was this year, right? Yeah, it is. I have a, yes. I have a, I'm going to see it like in the next three weeks. I haven't seen it. Can Movies. we, can we circle back to Widows just for one more second? Because there sure. were two, two performances I loved. First of all, Cynthia Erivo, who I have to say I have not seen yet in anything, and she started popping up in movies this year. She was in Bad Times at the El Royale, which I have yet to see. And, you know, she's like a classically trained English stage actor, and she's just yes. starting to get over into doing – so she was incredible in Widows. She was, like, all there. She was all up in it. And another person in Widows is <laughs> – I am seeing her very sparingly. Adepero Oduye, who is in – uh, she was in D. Reese's Pariah from 2011. She played oh, the owner. Shit. She played the owner of the beauty shop. Um, oh, yeah. Who, right, and it's like I, she came on the screen, and that's like speaking right to me. Like you guys know what you're doing. Like you, whatever else may be happening with the casting and the plot and whatever else, it's like you get that right by bringing in Adepero Duye because that was like one of the best films the last 10 years. That was like a big time yeah, success, big and time. I'm like want to see. I want to see as much D. Reese carried through cinema as anyone will like offer to give and so i love the fact that like that is part of the you know like i had to deal with like colin farrell whatever we all have the crosses <laughs> to bear but like you had cynthia erivo like breaking the shit down and that kind of stuff was like really like let's have that rather than not have that that's a good move to me well speaking um, of movies that are actually about a thing black klansman was fabulous um yeah. i it was interesting because um, I it like I loved and this is not this is not the focus of the movie, but this is a great example of a movie having something as an aside that sort of parallels the main plot points in a way that only makes it more richer. I loved Black Klansman's handling of Flip's Judishness. That was great. The yeah. way in which it addressed the way his Judaism is visible and invisible and like how he can hide it in contextual situations, but then it's actually really dangerous in others. Like I was so impressed at how well Spike Lee did that and what a great part of the story that was. Um, and then Laura Harrier, who we may recall from, um, from uh, as Liz Allen from the Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, and this is just like radiant and amazing. And she's calling our main protagonist out on, all of the things that he's doing. Um, and it was a beautifully shot movie. The period setting was really great. Um, I thought that uh, Topher Grace as David Duke was just astonishingly good. And I had forgotten, and I think this is important, I had forgotten that David Duke doesn't have a Southern accent. And I think it's important for us to remember, like white people in the North like to assign certain kinds of beliefs to as being oh those retrograde people out there they're they have bad beliefs but we are oh, so enlightened here when like that's not true we're all terrible <laughs> um but uh but yeah i thought blank Klansman was really fabulous and the way it worked in the footage from charlottesville at the end of the movie was just like really indicting the audience to get involved i, I have nothing but praise for that anyone else like black Klansman? it's on it. my list I have a long list right now. Didn't see it on purpose. Yeah, I saw it. I I made sure to see it. Um, Yeah, I'm I'm like behind on Spike. And the thing is, I I run kind of hot or cold on Spike. Um, This this was like good Spike. And Mm -hmm. I, you know, he handled his act. He always handles his actors really well. And he gets gets who he, like he sets out to cast guys who are at the top of their game. And like John David Washington, holy shit, that guy, like, (laughs) he, he looks... And sounds exactly like his dad, which is, you know, he can do his own thing in his own sphere. But that's like a big bit of continuity. If you're getting like the son of Denzel working with Spike Lee, 
that's pretty cool. I, I, I mean, didn't realize that till after I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, people are talking about it a lot beforehand. But I, to your point, though, about the, the you know the the way Spike kind of gently massaged Judaism into it, Adam Driver. I really like this guy. I mean, I've liked Adam Driver since he popped up on the Lena Dunham show, and I'm like a big fan of him as like evil Jedi. I think that that guy is like working it out. He has figured out how to work with these like directors. He did. He made a movie with Jim Jarmusch two or three years ago called Patterson. Yeah, which was so great yeah, movie. So small. Yeah, great movie. It's so small, so gentle, and I think he gets into these like little bits and pieces. He understands how to do a nuanced performance, and him playing like Philip. Uh, but, you know, he calls himself Flip was great. And he did. He added some like and he did such a great job of being a guy buying into the line of shit he had to say and sitting in with a room full of these Klansmen. And, you know, like you could say it's an actor's exercise, but quite you, you see an, you see a, a person lying and like, you know, all actors are lying because they're all just essentially reading a story that they've memorized. And yet you saw the lie from him. He had a lot of heavy lifting to do, right? He had to be the mm -hmm. guy who was who was giving body to the words that uh, uh, that Ron Stallworth was doing over the phone. And so the two of them in tandem put together like a real clinic in terms of how to do that. Mm. Um, yeah, I would say another movie I want to shout out. Uh, I don't think it had any wide release, um, unfortunately, it was The Misandrists by Bruce LaBruce, real famous experimental queer filmmaker who kind of comes from a porn, like from the porn world, basically. I've heard um, of him, sure. Yeah. So I saw it at Nighthawk. They think they had like literally two showings of it at all. Um, Kembra Fowler, a.k.a. Voluptuous Horror of Karen Black, Kembra Fowler is in it. A whole crew of young actors um, who I don't really know from stuff, but uh, it's like this very, um, I, it's it's very much in line with the sort of cinema of transgression stuff from the '90s, but way more coherent and watchable. Um, and I think it's like it's hard to explain Bruce LaBruce movies. It's like sort of arch and campy, um, and all about like gender and it was very over the top in wonderful ways and um the the sort of like the way the sex scenes with the women are taking are done are a combination of like humor and intensity and i i just don't think that movies like that get really the the, the platform that they that they deserve um, and like I think if you're into queer cinema then if you know if you're into uh, you know experimental cinema uh, you really got to get and watch the misandrists um, and like there's definitely moments where you you see the like the struggling with the production values but I appreciate those they make me love it even more um, I, it's definitely one of my favorite movies I saw this year I don't know if anybody else saw it but I did not. I did not see it. Never even heard of yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. It's like Bruce LaBruce. Bruce LaBruce is the shit, and that movie was really great. So, Mandy, anyone? Yep. Yes. Saw it. Loved Mandy. Yep. Tell me, what do you think? <laughs> I thought it was great. Go for it. Great grindhouse. Um, I know the co-writer. Um, he's a friend of mine. Um, Ooh. I know. I need to. I feel I'll be feeling bad for name dropping. I'm not doing it on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> no, go for it. But you're not um, gonna like lie and not mention it. So there you go. Um. So, and it was you know it what everybody had been talking about it. I was away in Canada and everybody's like, you need to see, uh, Mandy. Da da da. da. And I was like, all right, because I like the director, uh, uh, Panos Comatos. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. Panos Cosmatos. Yeah, Cosmatos. Cosmatos. I like his first film, Beyond the Black Rainbow. And mm -hmm. I was really excited for this one um, because he uses a lot of surrealism and lighting to sort of tell his stories. And this one was actually a lot more straightforward than his first film. Um, Andrea Rosenberg, Risenberg, I think that. Risenberg. Yeah. She was like really good in this. And one of the best performances from Nicolas Cage ever oh, to yeah. me. Yep, um, yep. And just the way that certain things are used, like LSD and just the just the production design was really spectacular. And I'm all for blood and guts and all that. And 
I really dug it. I, it was a really good time at the movies. I like the credulity gap of the movie where like you're never quite sure how much of this is actually happening versus how much of this is sort of happening in people's minds. Uh, you know, is this a real, is this a, is this taking place in a real realistic world or is this taking place in a, in a horror world where these mystical things are true? And the movie sort of danced across that in a way that I really enjoyed um, because it would sort of pull you from being like, okay, yeah, like spirits and demons are real in this world. And then you're like, actually, maybe they're not, maybe they're not real. Maybe this is literally happening in a different way. Um, that was definitely a piece of it I enjoyed. Um, you know, it, it happened on camera, like whatever the reality of it was, like I, I, I agree with, uh, I'll agree with Valerie is that it, it was straightforward. And I, I appreciate that as, a, as an idiot literalist. I always appreciate if you throw something straight at me. And it seems like it was a fairly pretty, and it was a fairly direct quest story where you saw the uh, thing that was put in front of the, in front of the main characters. You know, the, his, he had a want and there was a, a knockdown and it was revenge and Bill Duke came in at one point and there was a chainsaw duel. And it's just like there was nothing quite like it on a stylistic level. And I mean, in terms of like figuring out genre shit that they're not giving you enough of, people went crazy over this. I mean, if, if you were watching, if, if anybody who like wants to make money was paying attention to the box office receipts or at least like the Twitter buzz, Mandy like cupped everybody's ear and whispered into it. I thought this was mm -hmm. a big deal this year. And, you know, woe be to he or she who is not paying attention to the hunger for movies like this. Yeah, yeah. And like, I wanted to see um, Assassination Nation and I didn't get a chance to like, I feel like that was just in and out of the theaters really quickly. Uh, it was it was a decent movie. Um, it had a good message. And I think it uses used the Internet uh, properly. It juggled uh, a few topics pretty well. But you know, it's not perfect. It's, you know, another movie about women written by men so it's gonna be what it is um there's a lot of those yeah there's a lot of those um but i think you know the characters you know harry neff is is the star and the hero one of the main heroes of the film and it's you know it's pretty i wouldn't put it in the in the same category with mandy um mm. but it's you know, it's. I think it's a decent watch, depending on who you are. You know, it it it, it had audiences pretty split down the middle, so. Um, gotcha. I think you would have to see it. Um. You know, and make your own decision or come to your own conclusion. But one film that I did like, that sort of divided audiences completely, is Suspiria. Um, Loved it, yes, absolutely. I absolutely adored Suspiria. It's not perfect by any means. And some of the story's off. Um, the direction is weird. Um, and I always think about what would Suspiria be like if it was directed by not Luca or not a man, but if it was directed by like Lynn Ramsey or someone else and what Good that one. would look yeah. like. Yeah. And But I loved it. I really... You know, I wasn't a big fan of Dakota Johnson until I saw it because I was like, I am so sick of her in these roles where she's like <laughs> this like aloof, you know, this like aloof sort of a damsel in distress, blah, blah, blah. But actually that shtick worked in Suspiria. And by the end, you're like, oh, wow, that was that was really well done. And uh, the dancing is 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 pretty crazy. And you you know they, they it's it's the definition of a true remake. They take the material that was already presented and they elevate it and give us something new, um, while reminding us of what used to exist. So yeah. if it's like, it's not the perfect film, but to me it's the perfect remake because mm. of what it does with mm. the previous material. It's this year's yeah. uh, The Neon Demon, which I know a lot of people didn't oh. like. So Loved it, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. again, I was scared to see it. Like, I looked through the trailers, and I was like, this movie looks gorgeous, and I think it might be too upsetting for me. So I ended up seeing Halloween instead. Ugh. <laughs> um, God! I, no? Are, are folks anti-Halloween? No, it just wasn't good. That's all. <laughs> Not to me. 
I'm pro Jamie me. Lee Curtis, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, same. Yeah. I haven't seen don't it really yet. Like, yeah, but, don't um, really like love Halloween. <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis uh, looks great. She does great. Um, the movie's just stupid. I'm so, I mean, sorry. The movie's just—it's just not good. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean they use English language. I apologize. Um, it's just not good. That's all. That's all I can. Uh, I'm I'm just a sucker for like the way it played with some of the the the, the references to the earlier films, and mm. I appreciated seeing all the women team up. Um, I love me some John Carpenter music, and they really did use no, that yeah. there. I, I'm not saying it's like my favorite John Carpenter movie. It's actually not John Carpenter, so therefore it's not. But um, <laughs> but uh, but no, I did. I enjoyed. I enjoyed Halloween. I did. Um, I'll tell you a movie Ale- that I wait sorry. wait Alexis. Did you did you see it? I have not yet, but I am a oh, huge okay. Halloween fan, so it's on my list. Um, Alexis, what did you watch. see? I yes. saw Roma. <laughs> I did see that one. And oh, tell us about Roma. Bless Netflix for allowing that movie to be shown to a wider audience because, I mean, like I said, I am first generation and I used to go back home a lot to Bolivia. And in Bolivia, it's very common to, you know, have nannies. Like if you're middle class to upper middle class, like most people do have nannies and, you know, and it is often just like in the movie indigenous women from smaller communities that come into the cities and to work and i think the way that first i thought it was shot beautifully like all those scenes just with the countryside and the ocean like i absolutely loved it but um i thought it was the way they showed the relationship between um uh cleo uh yolitza paricio's uh character and the family I was I think it was so honest to how that really works how those relationships really work and I just I I thought it was just even uh, and I know it's um based on uh, Alfonso's like actual like kind of like his upbringing how he looked at it but I think it did a good job showing that Although these people work in your house, you know, you form relationships with them. Like, the scene that got me is when, um, spoilers, I guess. Is that okay? I'm not sure. Go ahead. Go yeah, for it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When Cleo's giving birth, um, the grandmother, um, they're asking her questions about, like, what's her birthday? Where is she from? You know, well, does she have family here? And she she has no idea. You know, this Cleo's been working for them for who knows how many years, probably several at least, and they don't really know much about her. Mm. And I thought that was just just so so good and so often you don't see that. Like usually it's that like, Oh, this is our housekeeper, but obviously she's family and we love them very much and you know, we treat them like family, <laughs> but it's not the case very often. There's a there's a leitmotif on this show of of uh, you know men writing the stories of women. Just about every mm-hmm. single movie that we, except for Bruce, well even Bruce LeBruce, I guess. There, this is a real thing. This is this is like what's happening with movies where it's these men writing the stories of women. If they get it right, I mean, I know that the co-writer of um, the favorite it was it was a, a man a man and a woman writing yeah. team put it together. But for the most part, this is still. The way the business is run, these are still yeah. these guys. You're, you're you're expecting men to get these stories right. In some cases, they do. In some cases, they don't. But it's kind of like a, a roll of the dice. It's shocking to me that they wouldn't have a woman screenwriter for Suspiria. Frankly, that's wild. <laughs> I'm not shocked. Yeah. <laughs> it's terrible, but it just sort of seems like a weird I think decision. Tilda Swinton like, had a lot of influence. She just didn't co-write it. Um, mm. Roma is in my top five of the year. I fucking love Roma. I, I know a lot of people beautiful. have co- a lot of people have been complaining about how slow it is. And I'm like, what do you, what do you fucking expect? It, which from is what we call Roma. Like, yeah. You okay? First of all, <laughs> spoiler alert. You see, there is like literally kung fu in this movie with oh, a bunch yeah. of indigenous uh, men or uh, indigenous people practicing kung fu, and some dude is literally mm. naked with his schlong hanging out. Swinging around yep. a sword, doing kung fu. I mean, swinging around a stick, and I doing mean, it's, kung fu. There's explosions. Yeah, there's yeah. guns. What, what do you want? Yeah, there's like it's. A, it takes place in the like seven protests, student protests of the seventies as well. Like, and that 
plays into it and it's I mean it's not the main factor but it's there and there was this really really bad article review someone wrote and that like was talking about how you don't know uh Cleo's thoughts on anything and that she only has two lines and so I was like you know what I need to watch this movie tonight so I watched it last night because I was so angry about this article and I was completely sure that it was pure nonsense and it was because her voice is all over the place with her relationships and the student protests even and like her relationship with the like this guy basically knocks her up and then leaves her and it's it's so good it's just so good (laughs) this has definitely been a good year for films that uh tell you why men ain't shit like <laughs> it's really that, been a good that is year. true. That's true. Been a good year for that. Well, um, what else did you guys see, Alexis? And what did, I mean, what did you guys like? What else did you see? Anything? That I'll you tell liked? you what has a woman co-writer. Although she did not have a story by credit, she was a co-writer on the script. The way writing credits are dealt with by the Writers Guild is complicated and uh, elusive. But um, was Ocean's Eight actually? Um, oh yeah, yeah, that was. I I've enjoyed that, that a lot. Like six yes. times. Didn't see it. Sorry. What did you think about it, Alexis? I think it's a very enjoyable film. And just seeing all those women together just pulling off a crime. And Anne Hathaway in as, uh, what was her name in that? Daphne Kane, I think. (laughs) It was definitely Daphne's first name. But I absolutely loved her in that. In that, like, but she, like, absolutely was, like, total badass gave no fucks and just like dominated that role and it was just such a pleasure to see Anne Hathaway do that like just truly (laughs) she was uninhibited you know you know I really loved in that movie and I I, no one else talked about this I thought this was like the best Helena Bonham Carter in like forever Mm, she she did such like she did like such a specific thing where she played this character who the whole time was showing her ass she was so on her knees, like busted out, like had nothing to lose because she was about to like blow yeah. her whole business. And so she was the key to this whole caper working. And I mean, I know that she's old school back to like the 80s. She's been doing like all these costume dramas and she was great in all those old like Forster, E.M. Forster adaptations, like going way back. And in Fight Club. And in Fight Club, <laughs> yes. no doubt. And in all the Tim Burtons <laughs> and all that stuff. But she was so good as like this she was like this anxious like you know had an ulcer fashion designer who was about to like completely lose her shirt and she was so tight i mean she just got it i thought that she created this character that was so funny and she just, just disappeared in like a great character actor i mm. mean i mean that's that was the opportunity that she is rarely given these days and she just totally sank into it i feel like i'm gonna paraphrase uh alex DeCampi when she wrote about the movie um she was saying it's like really great to see women who are just unbothered by men's bullshit in any way, shape, or form <laughs> yeah. during this story. Like they're just a non-factor, um, and I, that actually was one of the things that sold me on it. That and it all seemed very shippy to me. Um, so there you have it. <laughs> this all seems. Yeah. Pl- where was there was there a number of moments after the movie where where uh, Ray and I are talking? We were like, there is no heterosexual explanation for any of this. And it um, truly is so, not, and it's wonderful. right. Okay. Yeah, and it's just a pleasurable movie, a pure cinematic enjoyment experience of beautiful people wearing great clothing, all of them doing their work so perfectly, executing something with complete competence together. Um, it's like candy. It's like a really beautifully crafted bonbon. And it was directed by like the, the whitest, so white, straight like dude heteronormative bro gary ross the guy who directed pleasantville and like (laughs) hunger Hunger games version one and yet he managed to like bite into it and there was no fucks given like i i don't know how that wound up being that he was competent enough to do all the the heist work and like he's like a classic hollywood director and yet it seemed like there was no thumbprint of the director honestly like there was no identity of somebody creating it other than how strong the performers inside the movie were i never got the impression there was a director curbing anybody so blanchette got to be blanchette Mm -hmm. and aquafina got to be aquafina and rihanna got to be rihanna and that's like the most important thing is that no one overwhelms the the people that you cast in this movie well a very auteurish film of the year is certainly sorry to bother you uh i think it was one of the 
only realistic depictions of worker organizing in a movie I've ever seen, uh, <laughs> other than like Salt of the Earth and things like that. Um, and like the way, because like the way the union organizer, like the speaking as a former employee of many unions, like, uh, <laughs> you know, the good and the bad of him was like, yeah, that's all correct. Um, but yeah, this is surreal uh, humor, um, amazing ability to like analyze the world as it exists and show the absurdity of it um incredibly amazing political diatribe uh obviously tessa thompson is like the actress of the year basically oh yeah um yeah and you know i've really enjoyed like boots riley's music and his music videos uh but it was great to see him be able to just jump in and make an entire like you know hollywood movie did folks like it? I liked it. I saw it like three times. Um, I really enjoyed oh, wow. the surrealism <laughs> of it. Um, it. It's not perfect. You know, it has some pacing issues. But I I quite enjoyed it. And um, yeah, I liked it. I liked Tessa Thompson. I liked uh, Stephen Yun, who's been doing really great work this year. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I like the fact that it put him in the position of like the hero and the heartthrob, which is something you don't see many Asian American um, characters doing um, outside of something like I don't know, maybe Crazy Rich Asians or whatever. Um, so mm-hmm. I like that about um, about sorry to bother you, sorry to cut you off. Yeah, no. Um, what did you think about the ending? Um, cause I was a little bit thrown by that. I forgot what happened at the end. Um, <laughs> a horse, there's a horse. Oh, the, a... I get it. Like, I get it. I mean, yeah, like I got it. I mean, I get it. Like, you know, we're work horses. I mean, we always have been right. Um, and so, you know, he, it's too late. Like sometimes when you. You know, when you fuck around and you mess up and you try to atone for it, sometimes it's too late. And you are, mm-hmm. are you are, you have already been sucked into the system and you are already their mule, their, their horse, their donkey. Um, that's how I interpreted it. I, I got a little confused by it. I thought, you know, like I, I'm such a literalist and again, I, I appreciate a straight line through a movie. The fact that you had this great story with small touches of of weird fabulism, and it wasn't so Dadaist up until the very end. I mean, I I guess when when they were, like David Cross was doing Lakeith Stanfield's voice, for instance, up until a point. And it's like, that's as much as I can get with a surreal, I think. And the thing is, it's like, I will go wherever Lakeith Stanfield takes me, because I think he's like, the, the Humphrey Bogart of tomorrow. He's like the guy who's going to wind up being one of the great leading men. And Tessa Thompson, too, is somebody who's obviously proving her worth. When we got to the horsemen, I, I was scratching my head thinking, do I want this movie to go this far full tilt boogie into strange surrealism? And I'm not sure because it broke my concentration a little bit. And I had trouble like digesting what it was telling me and adding it up into what came before it. Mm-hmm. And 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 it's like I don't know. I have to be honest. I I really didn't know anything about Boots Riley's career before this. This I, I missed the music. I missed the personality. And I was relying on a lot of friends to fill me in on the gap. And it's this was the first movie by an assured creator, someone who was not a kid. This was somebody who was obviously someone who's messed around in art for a long time and knew exactly what he wanted to say. So I I appreciate the fact that it was so concrete. I just didn't know that right turn threw me. I kind of, I think I fell off the wagon at the end a little <laughs> bit and didn't quite know where it was taking me. And so I got a little lost in it. And I, and I, and I regret that because I haven't been able to enjoy this movie as much as uh, every, all the rest of the cohort, my movie-watching cohort has. Hmm. Well, we're coming on the hour. I would love to give people the opportunity to uh, speak a bit about a show or a movie that you recommend that we have not hit up yet. Um, do you want to take us off with that, Alexis? Sure. Um, my number one that I saw last week, Into the Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. I think what that movie <laughs> is doing for animation, because I am a huge animation person. I honestly wish we would get more stories told through that medium. Yep. But what they did with that, the CGI, the art is 
absolutely incredible and the way that they mixed it with this amazing storyline and perfectly blended music and the voice actors that really brought life to these characters I think was absolutely incredible and I'm actually gonna see it later tonight <laughs> again it will be my third time watching it so uh yeah Into the Spider-Verse I think is is something to I think it's like a marking point for a new trend into adult animation movies that hopefully we'll get more of and we also know you of the hashtag Los Runaways oh yes do you want to speak (laughs) to that so Marvel's Runaways is probably one of my favorite uh Marvel and superhero shows because of how well they have developed these characters bringing them out of the comic books and like just doing these great portrayals and building on top of what was originally written um and also just like that pure goodness of having like four out of the six main characters be people of color and three of the Mm -hmm. three of them being Latinx like that that holds a special place in my heart and season two has started off just completely just absolutely wild and I love it and I'm only on episode five we're still live tweeting but I I think that's that's one of the uh, Marvel shows to definitely watch cool what about you Valerie um stay away from Mary Poppins oh thanks <laughs> for the warning I appreciate that <laughs> You know, I love Emily Blunt. I really think that she's one of the best actresses to come out of the 2000 generation. She's Mm -hmm. very versatile. She can really, she can do action, comedy, drama, period. Like she's shown that she is, you know, at the top of her game. Um, But Mary Poppins is just a, an exercise in, um, uh, money bagging just mm-hmm. trying to get money um, off of yeah. a film yeah. that hangs heavy on the nostalgia of the first and without Emily Blunt I mean there would be there the movie any any scene where she's not in the film almost falls apart mm-hmm. and that's not how you make a sequel that's not how you make a movie where it rests its laurels and its entire shoulders on one character. It's not good. Stay away from it. Yeah. And it's too long to like, it feels so long. (laughs) And I think that we've come, I've come to expect that from Rob Marshall movies for them to be long for no reason. Oh yeah. Yep. So yeah. Hmm. Sorry. I couldn't end with good news. No, it's appreciate it. But wait, Valerie, what should we see though? Oh man. There's, there's so much. You should see Roma. You should see The Favorite. You should see uh, If Beale Street Could Talk. You mm-hmm. should see Widows. Um, you should see Suspiria. Uh, I'm trying to just, you know, run down my top ten here. Um, there, you should see Paddington, too. You should see... Oh, okay. Uh, I think you... you I, I know it seems like a kiddie movie, but I think you really dig it. Um, mm-hmm. you know, there's a few others that are not coming to mind, but I think those are some of the ones that sort of, oh, you should see a simple favor, a simple oh, yes. favor by yeah, Paul Yeah, I heard Fink. about that. Yep, Watching yep. that tomorrow night. It's <laughs> so good. I don't understand how that went under the radar for awards considerations, but Anna Kendricks and, um, Blake Lively. I mean, that movie is just, whoo. I saw it three times. Ah, I've just looked it up. Nice. It has a woman screenwriter um, and uh, based on a book by a woman. So, although it is directed by Paul Fag, Fag, so I don't know potential to see some more women's voices come to life on the screen. Yeah. I also heard it's Thank pretty you. gay in its vibes it's not. or something. It and looks it. It's, it's <laughs> not as gay as you. But think. does it feel Aww. it? Damn. Yes, it feels it, but it's not it. But there's no follow through. Well, um, there's you know uh, there's some some queerness enough. here and there, but it's not like the favorite where everyone is explicitly like mm, okay. gay. Um, ah, gotcha. So yeah. Well, thank you. I had forgotten about that. 
Um, and Bill, what, what, what else do you want to tell us to go see? Um, okay, well, one of my favorite movies this year. I'll, I'll just leave it to one because I want to keep length down. Do you guys know, did you watch Support the Girls by Andrew I, I haven't. I haven't seen it yet. I'm, I'm going to watch it. Uh, let me tell you. I, yeah, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not <laughs> I don't need to explain this. First of all, my performance of the year was Regina Hall. She's gonna, she should get the Oscar. This was her strongest role to, like, fucking date. She was so strong. There are nearly no male characters in this movie. And this, like, movie thrives on this three-woman partnership between Gina Hall, who's the manager of, like, a, uh, like a Hooters-type place, and her lieutenant is Haley Lou Richardson, who's just been absolutely amazing the last few years and everything I've seen her in. And this first-time actress, a woman named Jungle Pussy, she's this rapper named uh, Shana McHale. She's incredible. She's so good. And the chemistry that Jungle Pussy and, and Regina Hall have in this movie is so lived in. It's so natural. This was, this was Andrew Bajalski. He's one of these mumblecore dudes from Texas who made this. And yet it's so relaxed. There isn't a single second of this movie that does not feel authentic. And if there's any justice, like, they'll get a Gotham, like one of those Independent Spirit Awards, you know, one of those, like, IFC channel type things. Someone has to, like, recognize Regina Hall because she's been doing quiet work for so long. She's so good. She's so unheralded. She's got every single skill in the book. And she's not getting – she's getting the roles and she's killing, but she's not getting recognition. So I'm taking it, like, upon myself this award season to make sure people – See this movie just because it does so many great things and it has this actor who I've never failed to enjoy in a single movie. And this, this yeah. to me is like her career career highlight for sure. She was great in The Hate You Give this year too. Oh, I didn't see The Hate You Give. Right, I forgot oh. she was in that, yeah. Fantastic movie. Right. Oh yeah, I've heard good things as well. Well, thank you all for joining me uh, I and reminding me of a number of things I'd intended to see and hadn't seen yet. So this worked out <laughs> very well. Um, I'm going to encourage folks to uh, follow each of you online. Bill, where can we folks find your work on the internet? I'm uh, mostly Twitter. I think if you look at me on Twitter, at William Scurry, one word, W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S-C-U-R-R-Y. And I throw my podcasts up there. I like nattering about movies. I say a lot of stupid bullshit. It's pretty much all happening on Twitter, at William Scurry. Thanks. And Alexis, where can folks find you next? You can find me anywhere on Latinx Geeks. We're on Instagram, Twitter, website. And if you want some of my my personal nonsense, I'm also Rexus92 on Twitter. Fabulous. And Valerie? I am Valerie Complex. uh, V-A-L-E-R-I-E-C-O-M-P-L-E-X. All one word. On Twitter and at Instagram, it's Valerie underscore Complex. Well, thank you all. I, it's just, this is such a great lineup of people. And to our listeners, thank you. Hope you have a great new year. Tell us if you thought we missed anything. There's so much stuff that came out this year. It's really hard to catch it all. My Twitter handle is E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. That's Elana underscore Brooklyn. Graphic Policy Radio uh, on our website, graphicpolicy.com. We're on uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, anywhere you find your podcasts. As we like to say, keep it geeky.